Welcome, friends, to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And we are off this week and we'll be releasing our previous Patreon exclusive called The Winter Dragon, which was a pretty wild adaptation in the sense that it was wildly bad of The Wheel of Time. <laughs> Wild situation, right? It was like yeah. a rights, uh, retention of rights, basically, was the move. Right. So some of you may have heard of this if you're a Wheel of Time fan. If not, yeah, basically there was this company that had the rights to The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan, and they wanted to maintain it. And so they they slapped together this pilot and released it at like 2.30 in the morning. We get into it in this episode, talk about all the crazy stuff that went on, including like a tragic twist that I didn't see coming. Um, so stay tuned for that. It ends up being a pretty interesting episode, in my opinion. So if you're just curious about it, you don't need to have even seen this Winter Dragon thing. We just talk about it and you can kind of find out about it and then you can decide if you want to go check it out, um, which is not really worth watching, <laughs> but it's it's fun to talk about. Um, and I think it was pretty interesting. Yeah. And like with the state of, of Wheel of Time, I you know I hope we get some news soon about, about a possible next season you know i was right. excited at the time and then watching this version made me just like squirm and i'm like what's going on here why yeah. you know it was obviously pre the amazon show but wheel of time that was a fun time and a fun project for us so it'll be it'll be fun for everybody to get a chance to hear this wacky other adaptation that exists yeah so before that episode let's get through a couple bits of housekeeping um first off we wanted to go ahead and announce our new quarterly project is coming up for our second quarter of the year. We did a uh, last quarter, we ended up doing Twilight. That was a community selection. Um, we're coming up to another one. And what I wanted to do this time is something we've been talking about with some of our listeners is we keep having people suggesting TV shows. And that's just tricky for us to do. Um, they tend to be a little bit longer coverage. We ended up usually doing at least three weeks. So I wanted to do a special quarterly call for TV show adaptations. And here are the parameters. It needs to be based off of a fiction novel and the show, we can only do one season. It can either be a mini series or the first season of a show. Um, we don't want to do any multiple season things. We don't no have network shows either. No, no 24 episode seasons. All right. <laughs> yeah. Ideally, you know, like 12 episodes or less would be great. Eight would be perfect. Um, somewhere in that range. So with those parameters in mind, we're going to go ahead and put a post up on Patreon that post you'll be able to comment on, and then I want you to like any comment that you agree with as something that you would like to hear, and then we'll take all of those suggestions, take the four, usually it's four, that have the most votes, we'll put those on a final poll for our patrons to choose from, um, but we're going to go ahead and get that going now, and then our quarterly project will be coming out uh, sometime in June, so look for that. But before that, we've got two things coming up, and we wanted to go ahead and announce our very next project so you can get excited for it and maybe do some reading. We are going to be getting into Shawshank Redemption, which is one that I feel like has been on our, our on our horizon for a long time. We've always known we might go to this like different kind of adaptation from Stephen King. You know, we did we did uh, uh, the body, you know, and and um, it, it, we got the, a sense of like the other kinds of stuff that he can do. But the Shawshank Redemption, it, a lot of people say it's their favorite movie. Yeah, you know, I, I like the movie a lot. It'll be fun to talk about it. Frank Darabont directed. It's different for for King too. You know, it's it's yeah. a it's not 
necessarily horror. You know, I think it'll no, be interesting to see horror. if there's elements of horror that he kind of puts into the prison system. I'm sure there's darkness in it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. I've never read the novel. I've seen I've seen the movie. And, and like you said, many people have told me in the past that it's their favorite movie. So, you know, it's a popular one to be your favorite movie. Yeah, I think the nov- it's a novella, and it's called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. I think it's in a collection. Um, we'll find out more about that. We're going to do an episode devoted to that novella first, and then we'll follow it up with the film episode. So look forward to that. Um, and for now, just enjoy this former Patreon exclusive. This week we are covering Winter Dragon, the pilot uh, for another Wheel of Time show that never was. Um, what year did this thing come out in? I don't, I forgot, I forgot to write that down. 2015. 2015. So not that long ago. Um, and it is, it is on YouTube. Um, quality isn't super great, but it is on there. You can watch it and, uh, get a feel for what we're about to talk about. But honestly, you don't really need to. I think we're going to kind of explain, explain it pretty thoroughly and you can get a, get a feel for it. And it'll just be, if you're curious, you can go check it out. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was pretty much blown away by this. Uh, it was so good. Oh, yeah. So uh, just it really felt like they understood the material. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Are you a big fan of like community theater? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because that's what it felt like to me. (laughs) You know, I uh, expectations are funny. And I thought this was going to be the worst piece of garbage I've ever seen in my entire life. And it might have been, but... (laughs) I, it was better shot than I thought like it was going to be. Yeah, it, this, there was some surprising stuff where I was like, okay, I, I kind of thought it was going to be even more of a dumpster fire than it was. I'll agree with you there. They went and got like a crew that clearly knew how to light a scene, at least, yeah. you know. It was a little stagey. I don't know. I, the community theater thing keep, kept striking me. It was like, it was like, thrown. it felt thrown together. Yes. I found out they shot this entire thing in one day. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. And, and uh, if you know, if you've ever been on a set and you know what it's like, it was 14 hours for a crew and they have to move all the equipment in, get everything in place. And then the director has to deliver their vision to the director of photography, the director of photography. And usually you have prep time and you've you've I assume that they had I actually know for a fact they had prep time on this. So everybody knows going in what you're what's going to happen and how things are going to happen. But the the and e crew has to set up lighting. We have to get the camera crew has to get the camera in place and we have to get the actors in place and everything has to be costuming has to be done. Set design has to be completed. And then you then you light the scene and then you look at it through the camera. And if it looks how you want it to be, then you start start the scene, right? That it's a very slow process. And so to be able to like put together 22 minutes worth, which is it, it's a you know, sitcom sitcoms don't shoot everything in one day. And it's it, sitcoms are less. They're very flat lighting, sometimes on a stage and they just rolled camera. And so it's it's crazy to think of an entire crew having to go through. I'm sure that this crew thinks of this as the hardest day they've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think about all that uh, behind the scenes stuff that must have gone into it, but it totally makes sense with the product we got. Um, and, and when I was saying community theater earlier, I'm not I'm not taking a, a, a jab at community theater because it is what it is and it's you know what i mean it's enjoyable for what it is but what you don't do is record that and release it as a pilot for a television show um and and the performances just felt like people had read the script once before they performed it maybe twice right and they were just kind of giving it like you know the actors are capable they're like giving it giving it a go but it wasn't something they were taking super seriously right um because i think everyone kind of knew this was a farce is my guess yeah it's a one-day gig so 
a lot of things, uh, a lot of red flags are popping up. And then also like, we're going to get into this, but it's a shady, there's some shady shit that went on with this. And, you know, one of the red flags for me right away is I knew going in that it was sort of a rights dispute thing. We had talked about it in our Wheel of Time, our Eye of the World coverage. Seeing people who are the prominent actors being producers is a dead giveaway of, okay, so they paid them a lot of money and then they also made them producers so that if this did by some miracle take off and people were interested in seeing more, that they could be honest producers and have creative control, could get bigger paychecks, like all kinds of stuff is like there, that. Is there any sort of like uh, resume padding stuff? Like, oh, look, I've been a producer before on something. It could be. That yeah, totally could be. I, like I saw Billy Zane as a producer and I was like, all right, so, you know, money. I'm sure there's back end deal stuff. I recognize stuff with- that name, but I couldn't tell which of the two he was um, of the two speaking roles. Which which one was Billy Zane? He was Ishmael or however you say that. He was the bad, bad guy. guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was a slightly meatier role. I figured it was probably him. Yeah. Where do I know that name from? Is, what, is Billy he famous Zane? from something? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, he Well, Titanic probably most famously. He is the... Oh, he's the bad guy in that? He's the bad guy. He's, he's like, like the competitor the, the, to uh, Jack. Oh, he looked pretty different here. I yeah. guess it's been a long time. He, I mean, he was in The Phantom. Have you ever seen The Phantom? Yeah, I have seen The Phantom. Yeah. Now that he you say that, I'm like, okay, I can picture that that's who that was. Again, it's kind of grainy, like the version we watched. Um, we did watch a, a second fan cut called The Dusty Wheel, which we'll talk about maybe towards the end. Um, and, and that was actually better quality. So one of the benefits from it was I was able to see the scenes a little better, what was left of them. Um, but let's, I mean, I guess before we get into more behind the scenes stuff, what, what were your, some of your observations, I guess? Well, not well shot, but surprisingly well shot. Uh, I Com- competently shot, I guess maybe would be safer to say. It seems I agree. It seems like the people who are working on it probably know what they're doing. They're professionals. They're they, just they're just doing it fast. Right. And so yeah. uh, that was surprising to me. I think it's so weird to out of context go with this. I know it's the beginning of the book, but to go with this part of the story to represent a wheel of time yeah. adaptation, it's bizarre. And it doesn't it doesn't even slightly feel like it's representing what a fantasy story like Wheel of Time has going on for it. It is funny that about, f- I think, like three or four minutes of the 22 minute runtime is just a voiceover of a woman reading basically from the book. And it's over graphics that look like they were made in like the 90s. Would be yeah. my my best guess for when these graphics look like 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 something from like the movie Spawn. I don't know if you remember how the graphics looked in that yes. movie. It kind of looked like that. I would say Real Spawn bad. had better graphics than this. That this literally <laughs> looked like somebody's first time opening up like a After Effects type software and yeah. creating just like a spinning wheel with flames on it, and then they yeah. put like a logo on it. It was some of the worst I've ever seen in terms of. It was real bad, like and it's just those, just those opening. It's just that opening cinematic-y looking thing. Not not cinematic. Whatever you like, title card. Right. I guess. Well, they were going for like a wheel of t- or a Game of Thrones type thing, right? Like they wanted like the swirling of the sun and the, the all the stuff, and so like, they tried to achieve that with like, look how epic this is look at the wheel and everything i'm like don't honestly don't even have that which i think the edit that we watched took uh, took that out because if you don't have that you kind of can lean more into things that people actually want to look at because that was hurting my eyes we'll talk about the edit so the other thing i noticed with that is they were using tons of little icons that i think are either lifted directly from the novels or just heavily inspired by like it looked like someone like was <laughs> just taking a photo of some of the little icons that appear in like chapters and stuff or like at the start of different parts or on the and the actual like paperbacks mm-hmm. um and then just putting those onto a square of something that's supposed to be floating 
and like here's what the dragon symbol here's the wheel symbol and like that and like a snake and like this, i don't know different stuff like that yeah real bad um but I, I mean i don't know how else to explain just how bad this thing was but also weirdly not as bad as you might think it's right. this weird mix like because like the actors are trying somewhat with what they can do there is only two speaking roles um really i mean i guess there's some laughing but i think that was added in post anyway um and that's why i said community theater too because it felt like we're gonna get together we're gonna shoot a scene right this is not a pilot this is a scene exactly and it's stretched out to fill 22 minutes with as much padding as you can get they like the guy literally wanders around and says iliana probably 25 times oh a lot and we didn't even mention the fact that like the first three minutes or so are just the names of the actors and everything with like sh- random shots and that was padding <laughs> as well. I was like Jesus. Yeah. So you have you have the intro with the the voiceover, then you get their their names over B-roll and then you get to some really just like lingering shots of of the area with laughing and Iliana and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Iliana? Iliana. <laughs> 25 30 times. I couldn't believe I'm like if he says Iliana again, I was still at the halfway point of how many times he was going to say Iliana at that point where I was already losing fu- my fucking patience. Yeah. Um I like, I understand he's looking for his wife and I, he says it several times in the book, but like they they clearly were just like, "Yeah, I just keep walking around and yelling it for as long as we can stretch that out." And then every character did it felt like in important moments they didn't know how to like really emphasize anything or add any additional lines, so they're just like repeat that line a few times. Uh, like uh, there, all these moments were repeated like three or four times for no real reason. Yeah. I guess just to add some emphasis. I, I have to say, as somebody who hasn't read further than Eye of the World, but I'm dying to. I kept. I felt like I was getting spoilers. I was like, "Oh shit! Whoa! What are we saying here? Are we like? Should I not be <laughs> well, digging most into it?" In chapter one of the Eye of the World, I think there might have been a little bit. Okay. There might have been. I don't know. Because it did kind of strike me. You're probably right because it did strike me as. These people probably only read the first chapter of the book. Yeah, and they're I, like, let's make that's this. what I think happened. And yeah. I think you probably have more context for what was actually said in that first chapter. So it felt new to you, is my guess, because you've actually read the book now. Yeah. But I think most of that's in the first chapter. You just kind of know what some of this shit means now. Yeah. I was yeah. a little worried. I was like, am I getting spoilers? Am I not? I think I think part of it might be like... Yeah, like you said, I I didn't quite have the context, but some of it, like in now in hindsight, I'm like, holy shit, this is like, there's some big stuff that's being said there, and, and backstory about Lewis Theron that I didn't necessarily think about as, you know, in the context of what they're saying in the first chapter. Yeah, so it is the first chapter of the book where it's Lewis Theron. He has, he's gone mad, and he's walking around, and he's getting taunted by uh, Ishmael, and and um, uh. He believes his family's still alive. He's looking for Ilyana. He's looking for his children. And then he slowly is sort of tortured by Ishmael being like, you're going to remember. And basically he has the realization that not only is his family all dead, but he is the one who killed them. Um, And then basically it ends there. It ends in a weird spot in in this pilot, though, because he like ascends some stairs to go be with his family, quote unquote. And um, I guess that's supposed to be him going to, like, blow up and do Dragon Mount, which is what he does in the book. Right. But instead, he just, like, goes into the room with them, and they just start playing in some, like, sunlight. And then it rolls credits. <laughs> and I was well, like, that was, like, a vision of, like, their life together, obviously. I know, right? but, like, yeah. what happened? Like, we don't get any sense of anything happening. Just, they didn't have the budget for that <laughs> to do anything else. Clearly, like. the one effect they had where the guy was standing there and there was lightning coming out yeah. of him, it was so funny. Because, like, he doesn't move. He's like He's, like, just still. 
They're like, just stand there still, and we're, we're going to use some After Effects to like put some lightning on you. Yes. And then uh, that's going to be the one time we show magic. That was rough. Uh, that that's another moment where it's like you don't have don't show the graphic in the beginning. Don't show the effects. Just make it a character piece and make it intense and about like give give the dialogue like give the what they wanted to say and, and try not to I don't know show lightning that clearly wouldn't do anything. And then my my honestly probably my biggest problem with this and this is again them not understanding the context of the story is the reaction after realizing and remembering that he killed his family was so it was there's nothing there's no and that's a big moment for an actor to to get to perform and there was no no reaction no he's just like you're wrong and then he then he goes goes like i I don't know it seemed like he kind of understood that maybe he wasn't wrong but then he just immediately pivots to i'm gonna go be with my family picks up that weird dagger thing yeah the one run prop they had yep um other than a bunch of little dolls on the ground um, there was, I mean, I do kind of like the idea of him like going from room to room, calling for his family, you know, like he, he keeps kind of seeing them and it's almost like a dream. He can't quite catch up to them. I don't, it wasn't performed particularly well to where like sell that to me, but the idea of that was kind of cool. I could see a version of this making it into the show. Cause we actually haven't had this scene in the show so far, the, the Amazon series. And I think we will get it at some point and hopefully like a, a really cool version of it because it's a cool scene. And that's the thing, like you're working off a of cool material, um, but it's it's just so poorly executed. I wanted to ask you, as someone who's like worked on all different levels of, of film, basically, <laughs> um, and, and I, what separates this thing you just watch from like a student film that you know what I mean? Like a, a student project. Is there anything or is it, is there something about it you can tell that was something kind of professional? Right. So one of the main things that the, that you'll learn in like film school and everything like that is like, it's not about like what camera you have. It's about who's using it and that sort of thing. And you can tell even with the budget and everything else they had, these people were, prof- there were professionals on this set, whether, whether they were just there to get paid or not. Mm-hmm. And I think on a student film, there it's like almost all mistakes you know what i mean like you're, you're gonna watch a student film and there's gonna be a shot where something's like not exposed correctly or the white balance is off or something like, you know what i mean whereas if they if this did exist in in this show they cut those scenes if there were accidents and mistakes but like just the level of like the the normal competencies that you have to the threshold that you have to hit in terms of like technically creating a show or something like that or a piece whatever you're creating they hit those they hit the benchmark for like the like the absolute lowest of what you have to do and then going from there you've got talent that's another thing that people always say if you wanted to make even if you wanted to shoot a short film or whatever you spend like half your budget on talent because yeah. having somebody who's who's notable or can perform, I'm sure getting Billy Zane in here cost them <laughs> every almost all the money they spent. <laughs> it had to, and and yeah. it's smart. Honestly, that's you have to do that because otherwise, especially if nobody knows, if you're an unknown quantity, you have to have like a star to like at least get eyes on it. So right. some of those kinds of things in a student film, you know, Billy Zane's clearly a, a trained actor, and exactly. in a student film, you don't have you have people who are also learning how to act yeah. and you the know, guy who played Luce Theron was definitely a step down I would say yeah but overall I mean like the in terms of like the stepping the the staircase of filmmaking this is like a step above a student so so is that just like professional pride is that like the reason that it is somewhat competent because I like couldn't have this 
couldn't this have been even worse and fulfilled the role it needed to fill? Yeah, I think ultimately it was professional pride, I think. But if you had a lot of professional pride, you wouldn't do this, right? <laughs> or am I, am I wrong? Right. Or yeah. do they not know what they're getting into? I, I guess I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Are you doing a favor for someone? Yeah. You know, are you there's there's sometimes that somebody will come to me and be like, I need a favor and it's not going to be a fun gig or it's not going to be it's not going to be great. But in this industry, you really have to make connections and keep the like foster yeah. those those relationships. And, and it's some, a lot of freelancers just picking up random gigs and, you know, looking for money here and there. So right. Because, you know, all of that builds up over time and pe- you get bigger gigs. And, yeah, yeah and, I throw it on yeah. my resume. I worked on a pilot. And yeah, if people sure. haven't seen it, they won't know. Sure. <laughs> well, and that brings me to the director. Um Seda, I believe is how you say Seda James, birth name James Brian Howell. And this is his first fellow uh, James. (laughs) Yeah, this is his first uh, thing that he directed on this. He was credited as executive producer, editor and director, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. But in terms of what I'm about to tell you, which this is sort of a chronological look at what was going on with the production of this show based on tweets from Seda or Seda. So know that he tweeted on December 17th about booking a directing gig um, and then wrapped the production of this wrapped on on February 4th and then it aired on February 8th. Okay, that seems very quick. It's very quick. So let me let me tell you, January 19th, 2015 last. This is a tweet last prep day before shooting. Yikes. I mean, yay. January 20th, 2015. Big day today. First official as a professional in parentheses. Hollywood director, hashtag dreams come true. Oh, that makes me sad. January 22nd, just, <laughs> this is very sad. So January 22nd, 2015, end of an epic day, hashtag winter dragon. And I'm thinking of like, if I had the opportunity to, I'd be this excited as well, you know, especially like an IP, like wheel of time. Like even if it's, you know, you're doing the best you can with what you're given. And like, that's crazy to be associated with Robert Jordan for some, for an adaptation. February 1st, 2015. Funny how a 14-hour workday feels like play when you're doing what you love. February 4th, 2015. Craziest production and shortest post period ever, but we did it. Delivered picture this afternoon and now finally sleep. That was February 4th, 2015. Uh, Winter Dragon aired February 8th. So he literally edited, they shot it, he edited it, delivered it. And then reportedly the next day, Seda was involved in a fatal car accident. Really? Holy shit. Yeah, the day after this aired. Wow. Now that's really sad. Yeah. And and like I, I don't know. It's it's heartbreaking and like you can't even imagine how like happiest time clearly for this person. I th- I that was a curveball, man. I did not know that. Wow. I did I did see that um the it aired during what is usually an infomercial slot. Uh, yeah. I saw on that as well. FXX, I think. When they were contacted for comment, yeah, FFXX said that they had somebody had bought up infomercial space, which is obviously not, it's in the middle of the night. It's not as expensive as a normal slot. 2.30 in the morning or something, right? And they aired it right then in the middle of the night. So why, why do this? Yeah. Good question. Why, why take advantage of this guy who I feel really bad for now? Um, and, and why do this? Like what, what could you find about that? Right. It's, it's a rights thing, right? So I'm going to take it. I found this uh, Wired article, I believe, that was that broke down. It was a kind of a report that was breaking down like the month or so that this was like produced and everything was found out. Um, so a Wheel of Time fan noticed a blurb for the pilot that appeared on his television's channel guide and posted the find on the Wheel of Time subreddit, which sent others scurrying to check FX, IMDb and other sources. Dragon Mount, the online Wheel of Time community crashed 
as fans scrambled to find any available information. They didn't learn much at first. The cast included Billy Zane and apparently would only adapt the six-page prologue to The Eye of the World. So as more facts came to light, it became clear that this was a rights issue. The television version of 1994's famously horrible Fantastic Four movie. So there was a, in order to retain rights in a similar kind of way, Marvel was going to get the rights to Fantastic Four back from, I think it was like Paramount or somebody like that. Don't quote me on that, but from someone. And they shot a film in like record time. With is that like, that one that has like Chris Evans in it and stuff? No, no, no. That is much more competently shot than- There was the, another the, even worse Fantastic Four? Yeah, I didn't know about that. Much, wow. much earlier, like 90s, I think. Okay. 94. It was like, you know, put a bunch of foam on somebody and call them the thing, that kind right. of thing. Where- as the the Chris Evans one was not, they had actual effects and everything. And at yeah. the time it was a big budget movie. So yeah, that's, that's wild. Basically it came down to the fact that this company, Red Eagle Entertainment, which we talked about in our Wheel of Time coverage, they were the production company and they were, they got the rights. And it's weird how they got the rights. Cause I think they got it in like 2004 and they made all these promises about video game tie-ins and all these things that they were trying to do. And Eventually, when reached for comment, reached out to for comment, they actually said that like this thing that they shot was like going to still be leading into a video game that they were developing and the show. And they, they had it, it clearly to me, people didn't know what they were doing and had the somehow got the rights to one of the biggest fantasy properties potentially ever. And we're just like fumbling through it, never had any funding, lied about things and in, in some desperate attempt to, because this would never hold up in a court of law, of this airing and and it being good enough for the rights to remain with... Right, because the rights would have reverted if they hadn't used them to, to do the, To, I like believe, this. Robert Jordan's estate. Yeah. To, to, and so for that to that be the way that this happened, I don't know, it's crazy. So, But then they sued Harriet, right? Like uh, Robert Jordan's widow. I think so, but they had like a back and forth. Like I think both yeah. parties sued each other. But let me read this, which is crazy too, because this is from 2007, which is before Jordan passed away. Uh, he was commented about his relationship with Red Eagle Entertainment in a blog post. He said, I hear things now and then floating out in the air. For instance, I hear that word was floating about Comic-Con in San Diego that I am displeased with Red Eagle. Too true. Too very true. In a few more months, that last contract they have with anyone on God's green earth that so much as mentions my name will come to an end and we can see what happens after that. You see, among other things, they forgot an old dictum of LBJ back when he was just a congressman from Texas, when he famously or infamously said, don't spit in the soup, boys, we all have to eat. Worse, Red Eagle thought they could tell me they spit in the soup or pee in it if they wanted to and there wasn't anything I could do to stop them. You can't apologize your way out of that with me, not that they tried. There isn't enough money in the world to buy your way out of it with me, not that they tried that either. So they get no further help from me. Once they are completely out of the picture, we'll see what happens. Now, this was in 2007, weeks before Jordan passed. Wow. Yeah. These guys are looking more and more like villains to me. Uh, that's pretty... I mean, it's like they bought the rights, but like, if you're not going to use them, let them fucking revert. Don't do this shit. This is shady. Like, I understand you bought the rights and, you know, so you're like, legally, these are ours to do with what we want. We paid for them. Okay. But you're clearly not using them. At that point, let them go. Like, this, it's just such a... I don't know. It seems so underhanded, but I know there's like... Like, people do anything for money, so... It's frustrating. 
Yeah. So he passed away and, you know, years later, they're still holding on to the rights. In 2015, they decide to overnight shoot a, a pilot and release it. That's and like record Her- time. That's cr- it's, Yeah. And so Harriet McDougal statement, 11 a.m. the next morning. Uh, this morning brought startling news a pilot for a Wheel of Time series, the pilot being called Winter Dragon, had appeared at 1.30 in the morning, East Coast time on FXX. It was made without my knowledge or cooperation. I never saw the script. No one associated with Bandersnatch Group, the successor in interest to James O. Rigney, was unaware of this. Bandersnatch has an existing contract with Universal Pictures that grants television rights to them until this Wednesday, February 11th, at which point these rights revert to Bandersnatch. I see no mention of Universal in the pilot, nor, I repeat, was Bandersnatch or Robert Jordan's estate informed of this in any way. I am dumbfounded by this occurrence and I'm taking steps to pre- prevent its reoccurrence. Yeah, so immediately with <laughs> something was something was fishy there. And is that what they sued her over? Like th- those claims, I guess? I think, I think that they sued her over like def- defamation or something. Like, right. you know, they're trying to say that she's lying and s- said it to the public and changed court of public opinion or whatever. Yeah, man, that's, that's just so... I mean, it just shows you some of the shit that can go on in these industries, and, and this is an interesting moment of overlap, right? We talk a lot about, you know, adaptation and, and you know, authors selling their rights and then things getting... So often things fall apart. Like, that happens all the time. And I was talking to uh, some people uh, a few days ago about how I read these these news articles about something happening, and I you could almost flip a coin on whether or not a year or two later, you're going to hear something come come of it, or you're going to be going, didn't I hear that such and such was going to be made? And then you go look it up, and like that article you read two years ago was the last anyone has ever said anything, and then you read somewhere that like the rights ended up reverting, or that they, they sold them to somebody else, or something else has happened, and you know, and, and sometimes these things just never happen. No much, you know, you'll read these breathless articles talking about how something's coming, and then sometimes it just falls apart. Um, but this is yeah. like a particularly egregious thing to happen i feel like like it's this stands out absolutely i mean like this is like the equivalent of just like throwing a bag of dog shit on somebody's front doorstep and setting it on fire you know what i mean like this is just like are you a child like what are you doing (laughs) you're just gonna shoot something put it on and you think that like it's gonna hold up in a court of law that you like did the right that that like you're handling the property correctly and like this this is legally what you're allowed to do it's just wild to me and like i'm sure that they were just like blind they everyone else who was associated with it other than the higher ups was just blind to the fact that like they were given no information they didn't know any of this stuff i'm sure that if you ask billy zane he had no idea and then he's like shit i'm a fucking producer on here so like you're dragging his name through the mud and stuff too yeah so we talked about the show the amazon series um over the course of several episodes um and we i feel like we were pretty positive but also we had criticisms we had things we didn't like we won't get into them here but pretty mixed um but still kind of hopeful for season two um and and interested and like you really enjoyed the book and i enjoyed the book revisiting the book as well um so we're we're, we're interested you know I, I would say we're, we're definitely not haters um one thing i thought that was interesting is if you look at the comment section for this youtube video it is filled with show haters there are so many people really? on there who that hate the, who hate the Amazon Prime series and are commenting basically variations of the same comment, which is, "Oh, this ended up being better than what Amazon did. At least these people read the book." 
can't believe I'm looking at this and it's going, oh my God, it's actually better. And like, it's just a bunch of people say, talking about how this is better than Amazon's. So hot takes, huh? <laughs> These people are hot, have hot takes and they have so many subscribers on their YouTube account. Yeah. I just, I thought that was funny. I was like, oh God, yeah. look at this fucking comment section. <laughs> this is pretty bad. Doesn't um, YouTube comment sections never cease to uh, surprise me? Yeah. And then like, if you're, if you're commenting positive things on this turd, like that's pretty amazing. Um, and speaking of uh, polishing a turd, uh, someone decided to do a fan edit of it, um, which I, I think is slightly better. Um, it cuts out a lot of the padding. Um, it cuts out a lot of the repetition. It overlays a few scenes with other audio. It, it kind of amps up some of the ominous music, I felt like, just things I noticed. Um, it cuts together some of that lightning scene to where it's only kind of flashes for a moment. Um, to where you don't get to kind of like look at how bad it looks. Um, it did some 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 favors for it, and then it ends in a more ominous point before he walks up the stairs into the little like heavenly moment. Um, it ends in a more ominous like you know I, I'm gonna make you pay kind of thing. I forget what line it was, but it was okay. Um, but again, I, <laughs> I don't know why anyone went through the effort of this because it was still pretty bad, and this didn't deserve it because this. Thing should shouldn't exist yeah uh yeah i agree i mean like it, it does show you it's a cool exercise in like what editing can do for you right sure. and like what what like the idea of coming at something from a different angle and not doing the the expected thing and how that's how editors think in in and they yeah. a lot of filmmakers are like this is how i see it in my mind and then they were like but i'm gonna give it to my editor and see what they come up with yeah and this person doesn't have the raw footage yeah they're just working off of this vi- the thing we all watched and he's editing something together so i would that argue that cool, it's, it's significantly better um not it's still bad it's still the same like you said polishing a turd basically it's not <laughs> it's but but like it's showing like a level of that's something that we said in florida growing up i don't know if that's something other people say but I, that was a that was <laughs> colloquialism or whatever <laughs> maybe i don't know yeah so the o- overall though it, it just like it, it shows more down the path of like the characters being sort of out of out of their element and, I wonder and if mixed they took up. more than 24 hours to do the edit <laughs> that's what i was gonna say i bet you this took longer than the edit that they put out i bet you did um, and they were working with raw footage so they theoretically had a better like they had more to do they had right? to color correct it they had to do some things potentially i don't even know I, i'm sure that they did but yeah overall just just yeah i mean in interesting to see the other another person's take on it doesn't make it any better i would still never recommend somebody check it out if you're gonna um, watch anything I, I don't know it's like what do you what are you watching it for do you want to give it its best chance then watch the it's called the dusty wheel edit um it's like eight minutes long you'll get a feel for what it what it is at its best but like why like it's no it's, yeah it's garbage i don't you know. watch the original so that you can say that you have and and then the the other version like there's no reason to show anybody the other version because it's like you did you enjoy that and if they're like no then you're gonna show them this and they're gonna be like i still didn't enjoy it well if you're maybe in the comments they're gonna say Better than the Amazon Prime show. <laughs> this is like, this is better than Citizen Kane. <laughs> uh, I do have a, one other happy note to kind of leave us off on. Okay. And that's the idea that on April 18th, 2016, the Robert Jordan estate issued a statement that legal discussions had resolved and that a television a- adaptation of The Wheel of Time was being developed with a major studio. There you go. So yeah. just think of the relief that Harry McDougal feels. Like, she, like regardless of how anybody feels about the Amazon Studios adaptation, 
It's a hell of a lot better than the fucking one that they yeah. released at one thirty in the morning. And to to get like someone, some people who are actually invested in the characters and invested in the story and wanting to do like a full run of the show, like, uh, I feel like it's a big win for the estate for sure. And I think you know, I think there's mysteries to me at least about the production of season one of Wheel of Time. I think something went weird, went sideways with the the actor playing Matt. And things had to be reshot and re-edited and recobbled together. We talked about it some in our actual coverage, so I won't go into it here. But it's just interesting that, like, s- still something kind of marred the production and I think affected it. Um, and I really hope that for season two that we can put all that behind us and actually just have someone's vision actually come to life without having to compromise it for some outside reason. I mean, like, the, I think if you look into most shows... The first season and especially the pilot have a lot of things that go on. And if, if you can just by some miracle make it through the pilot or if in the case of like modern streaming, if you can get your first season out and you're greenlit for a second season, huge win. And I think from there you can start to see like quality and start to because there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen with Wheel of Time at Amazon, I'm sure. And so for it to come out and be well received enough to where they're going to they greenlit it for a second season. I think a third season has even been confirmed. If I'm remembering correctly. I think in the second season, people will people will back off and say like, OK, they you know, they had delivered on the first season. Was it the biggest success ever of any show? No. But season two could continue to build on that. I mean, you even look at Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones had that marred production of their pilot. They had to reshoot yeah. it and do all that stuff. And then the first season, I think people walked away being like, that was really good. And I think so, I mean, I remember at the end of season one being like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah. But, I, you know, season one I, of Game of Thrones is way better than season one of Wheel of Time. Yes, pretty but but what my my point being, it wasn't perfect and it wasn't easy the whole way. And there was certainly a lot of uh, worry surrounding the pilot. Uh, Yeah. Uh, All right. That's going to be it, I guess. Uh, This was the Winter Dragon. If you're really curious, go check it out. At least, you know, skim through it and see what we're talking about. Um, I guess I'm glad I know what it was now. And it was nice to be able to dig into some of the legal stuff that went on because... um, that's kind of scary. Like it's 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 good to know these kind of worst case scenarios as people who are you know trying to work in these industries, just to kind of be aware of some of the shit that can go down. And uh, never trust a production company is going to like have your back. <laughs> like they're just out to make money. You know, it's uh, a tough world out there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Keep adapting. <laughs>